Hello, my name is Dr. Hannah Rosa. I'm a locum GP working in the northeast of England, and I also co-host the GP Notebook study groups. Welcome to GP Notebook Podcast, where we discuss bite-sized topics aimed at all those working in primary care. You can find us on all major podcast platforms, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Please follow us to receive notifications about new episodes. And if you like what you hear, please consider leaving a review to help other listeners find us too. You can also follow us on Twitter at GP Notebook for more information about new podcast episodes and study groups. Finally, you can visit gpnotebookpodcast.com for podcast episode show notes and gpnotebookeducation.com to find out more about upcoming study group meetings. In this episode, we'll be discussing the six-week baby check that's done in primary care. To guide us through this, I have followed closely the guidance from Public Health England, which can be found in the Newborn and Infant Physical Examination Screening Programme Handbook, which was updated in April 2021. Now, I'm very excited to introduce a very special guest to the GP Notebook Studio today. Dr. Shan is a GP in the northeast of England, and he has an eight-week-old baby, Oscar, who I was lucky enough to meet earlier today. Huge congratulations, Shan. Thank you. He's gone with his mum over to the cafe across the road now. I think I'll have to pop over there later and have a cuddle. Now, my plan for today is for us to discuss the steps of the six-week check with a special focus on the conditions that it specifically screens for. Now, although it gets called the six-week check, it can be carried out when the baby is between six to eight weeks old. So let's get started. So I understand this is your fourth baby, Shan. Yes, we uh, have four boys. Are there any concerns that you have with regards to Oscar? No, he's smashing. That's great. You're making this too easy. Now, there are three areas that I tend to cover in the initial history. Firstly, the birth history. And I can see from the hospital discharge letter that Oscar was born by normal vaginal delivery at 39 weeks. And there were no complications during pregnancy or afterwards? Yes, that's right. They picked up a few birthmarks, but nothing else. Thank you. The second question is regards to how Oscar is feeding. He's fully breastfed. And are there any concerns that you or Oscar's mum have around this? No, his mum is doing a great job. The health visitor has been out a few times and he's gaining weight well. Super, well done mum. And lastly, I check on development. So has Oscar started smiling at you? Yes, he's especially happy to see us in the very early hours of the morning. Yeah, great. But I bet you can't help but smile back though. And has he started following objects with his eyes and does he jump with loud noises? Yes, his brothers often make loud noises, just as he's gone to sleep. (laughs) Super. Now, just as an aside, can I just ask, as a parent, what are your expectations from the GP at this check? Well, I guess I mainly just want reassurance that everything is okay, especially when you check his eyes and heart. Okay, that's interesting. A study carried out in London in 2018 to 2019 looked at parents' expectations from the six-week check. And they found that, like yourself, many parents anticipated to be reassured about their baby's development 
as well as hoping for some reassurances around their own parenting. The study also found that parents appreciated GPs who explained what they were doing during the examination and allowed space for them to raise any concerns. So I'm going to try to tick all those boxes today. From a medical perspective, one of the main reasons for this check, though, is to screen for problems relating to four main parts of the body. Shan, do you want to tell us those four areas? Um, well, four areas. Um, I'm going to say hips, heart, eyes and tongue. Nearly, not tongue. But of course, you would look for a tongue tie, especially if there were concerns around feeding. It's something else that applies to Oscar, but not all babies. Testes. Yeah. Next in the history, I check if there's any relevant family history with regards to those four areas. So does Oscar have any first degree relatives who have had any problems with their hips, heart, eyes or testes when they were babies or children? No, none. Great. And as we go through this podcast, we'll cover what to do if there is a positive family history in relation to any of these areas of the body. And next move on to the examination. If the baby has their eyes open, I start with the eyes. If they're fast asleep, then I tend to start with the heart. With the eyes, the main purpose is to identify congenital cataracts, as these are treatable but require early detection, rapid referral and management to prevent lifelong visual impairment. First check for any abnormalities with their lids, irises or pupils, and that their sclera are nice and white. Birthmarks to be aware of near the eyes are hemangiomas as these can potentially affect vision and extensive port wine stains involving the eyelids as these are linked with an increased risk of glaucoma. Then using the ophthalmoscope I check that the light from it is reflecting back at me in the same place in both pupils looking for normal alignment and then I move around and observe if the baby follows me and the light. Now, when looking through the ophthalmoscope, it can often be helpful to dim the lights. I hold the eyepiece to my eye and hold it at arm's length from the baby, whilst directing the light into their eyes. Here I'm checking for a normal red light reflex in both eyes, that it's clear and bright and that there are no shadows. It is worth noting that the reflex can be less bright and appear more magnolia in colour in black, Asian or minority ethnic babies. If the assessment is difficult, it can be helpful to assess the baby's parent's red light reflex to determine the expected colour. If there is an abnormal red reflex assessment, then babies should urgently be referred to an ophthalmologist to be seen within two weeks, as surgery for a severe cataract is usually undertaken between 6 to 10 weeks of age for optimal visual outcome, and retinoblastomas can usually be successfully treated if found early. Now, Shan, I'm afraid that I have another question for you. I've been waiting for one. Which of the following is not a risk factor for visual problems in babies? A first-degree relative born with an ocular condition, prematurity, trisomy 21, maternal exposure to rubella during pregnancy, fetal alcohol syndrome, or sensory neural hearing loss? Sensory neural hearing loss. No, sorry, it was a trick. They all are. That has been a useful reminder of the risk factors, though, especially the risks that come from infections in pregnancy. Am I right in thinking that as well as rubella, chickenpox and herpes in pregnancy are also linked to congenital cataracts? Yes, that's correct. And cytomegalovirus and toxoplasmosis as well. 
So I suppose if any of these risk factors are present, it's important to have a lower threshold for doing a referral if you or the parents have any concerns. And as sometimes cataracts can develop later, letting the parents know to report early any changes that they notice. Yes. For example, if their child starts to struggle to follow objects with their eyes or to see in bright lights, or if they develop any wobbling or nystagmus, then they should visit their GP. It's also worth mentioning here that babies with a first-degree relative who have had bilateral congenital cataracts should be referred to ophthalmology, as they are at increased risk of developing cataracts. Is that even if the red light reflex is normal? Yes. Okay, so it's important to always ask about family history. Exactly. Moving on from the eyes now, for the next part of the six-week check, I stay with the head and check and plot head circumference. Have a little feel over the anterior fontanelle, check the ears to form normally externally, and check the palate either, either visually or with a finger. Next, I ask if I can hold the baby and assess their general tone, including head control and reflexes. The stepping reflex is usually demonstrated as I hold the baby with their feet touching the examination couch. And then the startle reflex and tonic neck reflex can usually be seen as you place them laying down on the couch. Now I'm going to focus on the next area, the heart. Here we're looking to detect any congenital heart problems. Around 50% of cardiac abnormalities are detected during pregnancy at the 20-week anomaly scan, which, of course, means that half go undetected until the baby's born. Thinking again about risk factors, Shan, what sorts of features from the history would alert you that there may be a cardiac abnormality? Well, we've already mentioned asking about family history of any congenital heart problems. So if this was present, it would increase the risk or if any problems were detected on the 20-week scan. Um, some medications taken during pregnancy. The common ones that I counsel pregnant women about are medications like phlogstein and sertraline, as the BNF does mention a small increased risk of cardiac abnormalities with these. Also, if there have been any episodes of cyanosis, difficulty feeding, shortness of breath or concerns around failure to thrive. Yep, perfect. Other risk factors include some genetic conditions such as trisomy 21, maternal exposure to viruses, for example rubella during early pregnancy, and maternal conditions such as type 1 diabetes, epilepsy and SLE. Can I ask, if there is a positive family history, a first-degree relative who has had congenital heart defect, would this alone prompt a referral to secondary care? Great question. No. It's important to understand that it increases the risk, but a referral is only needed if there have been concerns with the baby, such as shortness of breath or apneas lasting longer than 20 seconds or associated with a colour change, or if there are any concerns from the examination. So, any baby with increased work of breathing, a history of apneas or episodes of having blue or pale skin, think, could it be their heart? Yes, exactly. When it comes to examination, there are three parts, inspection, palpation and auscultation. So, first look at their general tone and colour, the size and shape of their chest, and for any signs that would indicate an increased work of breathing. Palpation, first I feel for their femoral and brachial pulses, for strength, rhythm and volume. As if you can't feel the femoral pulse, then you'll be worried about co-optation? Yes, exactly. Next, I check capillary refill time, feel the position of the cardiac apex, 
to exclude dextrocardia and feel over the heart for any heaves or thrills. Something which I learned from a paediatrician recently was also to palpate the liver to exclude hepatomegaly, which may be present in congestive heart failure. Then I have a listen to the heart, and here I'm checking for murmurs in five areas. Five? Yes. As I describe the areas I listen to, Shan, could you tell me the corresponding area of the heart? I'll try. First, I listen in the right second intercostal space adjacent to the sternum. The aortic valve. Good. Then the left second intercostal space adjacent to the sternum. The pulmonary valve. Super. Then lower left sternal border in the fourth intercostal space. The tricuspid valve. Excellent. Then at the apex. The mitral valve. Great. And then lastly, I listen mid-scapulae. I'm guessing for the aorta, for coarctation? Yes, that's right. If any murmurs are heard, or if any other abnormal findings are noted, then the baby will need to be referred to a paediatric cardiologist. The urgency of the referral will depend on the clinical condition of the baby. Remember that benign murmurs are typically short, soft, systolic, localised to the left sternal border, and don't have any added sounds or other clinical abnormalities associated with them. But also, it's worth noting that cardiac murmurs may be absent in babies with significant cardiac defects. Also remember that some conditions only become symptomatic when the baby's ductus arteriosus, the small blood vessel which connects the aorta and pulmonary artery in utero, closes, which usually happens in the first week of life. So don't be reassured solely by a normal newborn examination in hospital or normal ultrasound set scans of pregnancy. That's right. After examining the heart, I next move on to the hips. So the main aim here is to screen for dislocated or dislocatable hips, as early intervention helps to minimise the long-term complications such as impaired mobility and pain. So, Shan, any hip risk factors that you know of? Um... Well, as with the eyes and heart, I'm going to say family history, and I also believe a breach presentation. That's right. And these babies do need a referral, even if the examination is normal. So it's important to ask if any first-degree relatives had hip problems as babies or as children that needed treatment with a splint, harness, or an operation. Also, if the baby was breech at or after 36 weeks gestation, even if they weren't born in the breech position, or if they were breech at the time of delivery between 28 weeks and term, they should be referred. That's interesting. So if they were breech at 36 weeks, but were turned successfully by external cephalic version and born head down, then they still need a referral for the hips? Yes, that's right. What do you think about babies from a multiple pregnancy? Um, do they need screening too? only if the risk factors are present. So if there's a positive family history or if at least one of the babies was breached at the time of delivery or from 36 weeks, then all of the babies in the multiple pregnancy should be screened. Are any of those risk factors present for Oscar? No, none. And have you noticed any trouble with either hip when changing his nappies? No, I think we're just being boring. <laughs> Boring's good. So, for the hip examination, I check that both legs are the same length when extended, that when the hips and knees are flexed, that the knees are at the same level, 
and that there is a nice smooth movement when I flex the hips. Do you also look for any asymmetry with skin creases around the hip or thigh? Again, another really good question. Recent research has found that the positive predictive value of asymmetrical or isolated thigh creases for developmental dysplasia of the hip in infants is low. And so this alone is no longer regarded as a reason for referral. Then, doing one hip at a time, I do the Barlow and Ortolani manoeuvres. The Barlow manoeuvre is used to screen for a dislocatable hip. The Ortolani manoeuvre is used to screen for a dislocated hip. So there's a good description of how to do each of these manoeuvres on the GP Notebook website. And I've put the link for this in the show notes. But just to summarise these tests, for Barlow's, I stabilise the pelvis with my right hand gripping between the sacrum and pubic symphysis. Then with my left hand, I place my thumb along the right thigh and add my fingertips near the greater trochanter with the leg flexed to 90 degrees at the hip and knee. Then I apply backward pressure. If the head of the femur subluxes, you can feel a clunk which will pop back into place with a little pressure in the opposite direction or on abduction. I then repeat the test with the left leg. Next, Ortolani's test. Again, I flex the right hip and knee to 90 degrees and place my thumb on the inner side of the baby's knee with my index finger over the greater trochanter. Then I abduct the hip through 90 degrees smoothly and gently. Ortolani's sign is that palpable sensation of the femoral head slipping into the acetabulum. If there is restriction of abduction, then this may indicate an irreducible dislocation. I then repeat the test with the other leg. I always used to remember Barlow's back, Ortolani's out. That's a good tip. Have you ever felt a dislocatable hip yourself, Shan? No, a few clicky knees, but no clunky hips. I have, but only a few, and both times I was surprised by how obvious the clunking was. It didn't take much force at all before I could feel the hip moving out of the joint, and luckily it always very easily went back into place. And you mentioned a good point, clicky knees and clicky hips are common in babies, and as long as there are no other concerns from the history or examination, then you can reassure the parents that no further action is needed. If the examination is normal, then advise the parents to see their GP again if they have any concerns with their baby's hips, including if one leg drags when the baby starts to crawl, if they, their child walks with a limp or has a waddling gait. Babies who have any abnormal findings on their six-week check should be referred directly to a paediatric orthopaedic surgeon for an urgent expert opinion and be seen by 10 weeks of age. So a referral is needed if there are any differences in leg length, if the knees are at a different level when the hips and knees are bilaterally flexed, if there is unilateral limitation of hip abduction, if there is gross bilateral limitation of hip abduction, or if there's a palpable clunk when undertaking the Ortolani or Barlow maneuvers. Next, I check the testes. Shad, why is it important to check for undescended testes? Well, I know that there is an increased risk of testicular cancer later in life and reduced fertility. That's correct. There's also an association with other urogenital problems such as hypospadias and later testicular torsion. Bilateral undescended testes may be associated with ambiguous genitalia, 
possibly due to an underlying endocrine condition such as congenital adrenal hyperplasia. When it comes to risk factors, what are your thoughts, Shan? Um, well, I'm guessing, as with the other areas, family history of undescended testes is a risk. Yep, you're right. And would you make a referral based on a positive family history alone? Oh, um, I don't think so. If you can feel both testes are in the right place, then I don't think that you need to do anything else. I hope you don't. Right again. Other risk factors include low birth weight and being small size for gestational age or preterm. So I first observed the scrotum for symmetry, size and colour. Next, palpation. I check the scrotal sac to determine the location of both testes. If you can't feel one or both, then next check the inguinal canal and the perineum. Where testes are felt bilaterally but high in the inguinal canal, this should be referred just the same as if the testes were absent bilaterally. Infants with bilateral undescended testes should be referred and seen by a senior paediatrician within two weeks of the examination. Infants with a persistent unilateral undescended testes should be reviewed by a GP between four to five months of age and then referred to a surgeon if the testy is still absent or not descended. Then I check the genitalia generally for other abnormalities such as hypospadias. Next, I have a look at the spine, making sure that it's straight and checking for any sacral dimples. You mentioned that Oscar had some birthmarks? Yes, blue grey spots on his buttocks, which were documented at birth. Ah, that's good. This documentation is important as you don't want anyone thinking that they might be bruises. Lastly, I would do the baby's weight whilst they're undressed without their nappy on and plot it in the back of their red book. And that brings us to the end of the six-week examination. To finish off, I have a few quiz questions to recap on a few points. So, question one, true or false? Babies with a first-degree relative who had bilateral congenital cataracts should be referred to ophthalmology. True? Yes. A positive family history of bilateral congenital cataracts should prompt a referral as should a positive family history of hip problems in early childhood. Number two, how many areas should you auscultate when listening to the heart? I remember this as this was a learning point for me. Five. Yep. Right second intercostal space adjacent to the sternum. Left second intercostal space adjacent to the sternum. Lower left sternal border in the fourth intercostal space. Apex and mid-scapulae. Number three. Why is it important to note the position that the baby was born in or was in from 36 weeks? Because if they were breached, then they will need a referral for their hips, even if the examination is normal. Yep, perfect answer. And so last question. Infants with persistent bilateral undescended testes should be reviewed again by the GP between four and five months of age. False. It should be earlier for bilateral undescended testes. That's right. The answer is false. Well done. Infants with bilateral undescended testes should be referred and seen by a senior paediatrician within two weeks of the examination. Great result, four out of four. Thank you, I feel proud. So you should. If you or any of our listeners want to refresh your skills or learn more about any area of the examination, then there is the Newborn and Infant Physical Examination or NIPE e-learning module. And I've put a link for this in the show notes. So thank you all for listening. I hope you found this podcast helpful. 
I need to, of course, say a massive thank you to you, Shan. You've been excellent. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. I've learned a lot. Dear listeners, please do have a look at the show notes that accompany this episode at gpnotebookpodcast.com. And we'd be very grateful if you would consider following the podcast and leaving us a review on your favourite podcast platform. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then why not listen to episode 38, where Dr. Kate Chesterman discusses in more detail Undescended Testes in infants. Or episode 69, where I go through the maternal side of the six-week check. Feel free to get in touch via social media at GP Notebook or email support at gpnotebook.com if you have any questions, comments or ideas for future podcasts. You should also visit us at gpnotebookeducation.com to register for our virtual GP Notebook study groups and download free resources and shortcuts to help improve the lives of our patients in primary care. Right, after all that, I think that we deserve a drink. We're off to the cafe to see Oscar and have some baby cuddles. Goodbye. Goodbye.